Hey guys, welcome back to Starving Artist Phoenix. It's Tony Machetti. Uh, so this week I've got a local kind of filmmaker and screenwriter, Doug Brecken, with me, who is actually a co-worker of mine at the day job that I don't like to talk about at all. Um, so it was uh, really cool to hear that. I had no idea that he was into that kind of thing, you know, when I first started working with him. But kind of a fellow co-worker of ours uh, pointed it out when she heard about my kind of artsy background. And uh, we just kind of started talking. And, uh, you know, we uh, looked into his movie a little bit and like, yeah, it's, it's a really cool guy. So decided I, I wanted to get him on here. So we got back to the chop shop and uh, chatted a little bit over some coffees about, you know, how uh, you make a movie in the valley. It's uh, super interesting, actually. Uh, it's, uh, it's a lot easier than you think. So uh, take that to the bank. Okay, yeah, I don't know. Uh, how, how else have you guys been this week? Anything good happening? Nah, nah, I'm not gonna do the, the Marin thing like that. <laughs> so, uh, let's just leave it at that, and you guys enjoy my conversation with Doug Bracken. Sure. Um, well, definitely, like a lot of people of our generation, I grew up with the camcorder, and <laughs> my dad brought home a, I think it was a, one of those oversized Sony VHS 1983 nice. camcorders, <laughs> right after Beta fizzled out, and so I was always, you know, I grew up on horror films, Garden Variety, Halloween, Friday the Thirteenth type movies, and I. Uh, my brother and I, we made a movie called Bloodbath, which was literally about a guy who gets killed by some unseen monster in a bathtub, played by himself. Literally. Yes, very much so. We are very literal back then, so we didn't really understand. Bloodbath could also mean, like, you know, uh, a war or an aftermath or something, so... But, How yeah. old were you when you started watching these type of movies? Um, actually, my dad took me to see Halloween when I was six. Yeah, so... That's one of my favorite movies ever, but, like, yeah. that's a lot for a six-year-old. It is, it is. I remember, um, I just remember being, like, very drawn to horror because, you know, being kind of, like, an anxious kid and having a lot of worries about the world and stuff like that, and, um, I found it to be kind of a catharsis, you know, like a roller coaster, my, 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 uh, way to escape, and, you so know. It's, so it's like... Oh, these rest of these things I'm worried about are not so bad because there could be a guy here who's going to kill me anyways. So. Exactly. Like, yeah, I remember coming out of coming out of films. Like my dad took me to Halloween, like in the 1988, and I remember people coming out of the theater cheering and thinking, "Wow, this is cool!" Like people of all ethnicities and backgrounds. There was it was like this unifying experience, and you're right. You come out thinking, 
God, the world isn't that, you know, out of a place <laughs> after all. Like, you know, this, this. So anyway, so yeah, I've been making horror films since I was little. And high school was my way of making friends. I would actually ask people if they wanted to be in a movie. And that was how. I'll I, do it. Yeah. yeah, right. That's how I got my prom date. Um, <laughs> I asked her if she wanted to star in one of my movies. And then after the movie was over, I'm like, hey, do you want to go to the prom? Okay, so it wasn't like she didn't know she was your prom date. It was like, oh, we're going to do like a, a sequel to prom night unofficially. And right, we're gonna right. There, we're going to do it all gorilla. And we're just going to dance like in between. Just kind of. Pretty know, much. Well, yeah. Or we're going to dance after, you know, once it's, <laughs> once it's edited. Um, so anyway, so yeah, I mean, <clears throat> but no, I mean, honestly... I've always been drawn to horror, and um, then I got to college, I went to UT Austin, and um, basically, you know, started to see the reality of filmmaking, and decided that I kind of got, you know, the, the, the idea of having to move to Hollywood and become sort of part of this bigger picture, and having to answer to people, and the whole wheeling and dealing, producing part of it kind of got discouraging, but at the same time, I met Kevin Williamson on the set of a movie um, wow. teaching Mrs. Tingle. It was actually, you know, interesting because my friend and I were going to LA to see where the homes where Halloween was filmed. Yeah. And we were driving around Pasadena and we were lost. This is before the internet, so I didn't have like the actual directions. <laughs> I We were just walking around, like driving around. I read a Fangoria article where it, it said the street names. So we got lost. We took a wrong turn in Pasadena and there was this big movie set going on. And, um, she happened to know the assistant director from high school, and so we got on the set, and Helen Mirren was there, and Katie Holmes, and a couple oh, other people. I think people. I remember this movie, yeah. Teaching Mrs. Tingle, yeah. It was a complete flop at the box office, yeah, but <laughs> yeah, no one saw it, but I, I thought it was good. But <laughs> So anyway, so I ended up hanging out with Kevin Williamson, and his favorite movie is Halloween, and we were right. talking for hours, literally, I was behind the camera with him, and he was smoking the cigar, and he's like, hey, you know you seem like you know a lot about films and you know a lot about horror films and we were talking about The Breakfast Club and 80s films and what inspired him to make Teaching Mrs. Tingle which to him he said is sort of a marriage between Halloween and Breakfast Club so um, but at the time I met him um, you know I told him well I'm actually going to school for psychology I don't want to really do horror films I don't really want to make movies anymore I'm really turned off by it with my experience at UT so anyway, needless to say, I went and got my degree and then I got a phone call from my friends who got me on the movie set. Her brother um, had told me that Kevin Williamson wanted to work with me, that he had been asking about me and, you know, tell that kid when he graduates he has a job with me, basically. Wow, that's nice. So yeah, and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. I didn't think this, I mean, how often does this happen? So I ended up moving to LA and I interviewed with the one of the heads of Miramax, and I was in this big conference room, and it was just me and him, and he, he kind of, he says, like, okay, Kevin told me a lot about you, tell me about yourself, and I just told you what I just told you, which is basically, I've been making movies <laughs> since I was little, and I like horror movies, and I've been, you know, and he's like, well, what do you, what do you want to do? What do you want to do for, for Kevin's company? And, and I literally froze up. I was like, what do I want to do? I mean, do I, I've been, I mean, I want to write and direct. I don't want to, you know what I mean? Like, I don't, I don't know what I want to do for you guys, but I mean, for me, I want to make movies. Like, do you have a script? Do you want me to come like, you know? And so he basically he's like, well, what do you want to do? Like on a production basis? Do you want to, do you want to do development? Do you want to do, you know, do you want to work production? What? And I told him, I'm, I'm like, to be honest with you, I haven't even really thought about this. I mean, 
you know, this is kind of, this was more of an open invitation from, from Kevin. So he's like, okay, well, kid, when you know, come back. <laughs> and oh, so, man, what do you do with that? yeah, right. Uh, so anyway, so then I ended up coming back to Phoenix and working a bank job and kind of closing the door at that moment. Gotcha. Wow. Okay. So when, did, why did you end up in Phoenix from Texas, from Austin? When you, I mean, if you graduated from Austin, you, uh-huh. you went out to LA to have this meeting. Why did you come back to Phoenix? Um, I pretty much, you know, had graduated and I didn't really feel like I had a reason to stay in Austin. Um, you know, once film school was done at the time, there wasn't really a film scene in Austin and my, my, you know, I was thinking, of course, I'm going to head to LA. I'm going to get back to Phoenix. I'm going to regroup. I'm going to, you know, I worked like a temp job for a few months to save some money up and then, um, you know, pursued, pursued LA and that was pretty much it. I didn't think there was a reason to stay in Austin. So, I mean, did you know someone in phoenix or did you like what how did you oh i'm here? sorry i yeah. grew up here oh, yeah did? yeah okay. i, I was... moved here in junior high but i'm originally from chicago gotcha i was gonna say i thought you were from illinois originally yeah but yeah but you moved here in junior high and then came back oh, right. Okay. right makes a lot more sense my research was flawed uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay gotcha so you came back here started working temp shops and so um i mean was there still always kind of that itch to to make movies or did that die down for a little while when you first came back um was that kind of beaten out of you for a little bit well, I think it was beaten out of me a little bit because when I went to college, like everybody else, <clears throat> I started to see the world was a lot bigger than I realized it was. <laughs> so there's more to life than horror films <laughs> and, and slashing and things like that. So um, I started to become more socially conscious and thinking about, okay, well, are horror films really good for people? You know what I mean? Like, is there, you know, there was so much going on with school shootings and things like that. and. And so I kind of developed this moral, you know, conflict. And so, yeah, I went through a few years where after that Kevin Williamson debacle, I, I started thinking, okay, maybe I need to do something better for humanity. So I went on a little hiatus and then, but I keep coming back to it. So, yeah. So, all right. So how did you first decide that you were going to try and do it again after so much time away from it, after, you know, not really, I guess, making films since... You were, you were making films in, in college, but it's been a couple of years, so mm-hmm. how do you do it in the real world for the first step? Okay, well, um, coincidentally, I was working for another for-profit college, a day job, and I met a co-worker who was working on a movie that happened to be a ghost story, and she had put a an ad up on the company, like they had a human resources site, like trying to connect people who needed carpooling or... Oh, yeah. They were selling things. They needed babysitters or whatever. And she had put up there looking for somebody who wants to work on a horror movie. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is too serendipitous. And maybe, you know, maybe this will be fun, you know. Yeah. So I got I got the bug again and ended up working on her film for a while, which eventually collapsed under its own weight because she we she lost money. I mean, eventually we, we kind of tapped out. And uh, so... Just no pre-planning or like yeah, pretty much. I mean, I remember she took out student massive student loans oh, to to take the to, to make the movie, and then um, about halfway through, we realized, okay, we're out of funding. What are we gonna do? So, and then I kind of from there got the bug again and picked up and decided to start working on my own film. So. Nice. Okay. So, was your film inspired by that story, or like was it some, just your own thing? Uh, well, I mean, starting to make the film, I think just getting it together and actually realizing I can do this with digital technology and seeing how she put started to put things together yeah. and how cheap it was um 
I had, I had already had the story in me before I this whole incident with the film with her, but um, where did that come from? Um, okay, so basically, the film is sort of semi autobiographical. Um, you know, it's 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 about a girl who has a struggling. Uh, basically, she drops out of college, which I almost did, and essentially, it's it's sort of a. A film about her struggle with her mom and trying to find herself and so I took this sort of character study and sort of amplified it and, and utilized a lot of my horror influences so utilizing um, a lot of uh, if you've ever seen Repulsion by Roman Polanski okay and uh, the whole you know losing brink <laughs> the girl on the brink of reality genre subgenre I sort of integrated that and amplified the idea that you know your family can nearly drive you crazy through their idea of what you should be doing with your life. And so kind of took a lot of visuals from Dario Argento and um, Brian De Palma and things like that and just decided to make a character study that integrated a little bit of social commentary with uh, classic horror film tropes, I guess. Interesting, okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, I mean, this is a story that, that you weren't developing when you were in college then? No, not at all. Is, it, yeah. is there something about this type of horror that you feel like um, is maybe more mature or something than what you were doing back then? Because it sounds like when you first started off, it was very, like you were telling me before, very literal, very kind of violent, mm -hmm. like gory slasher movie stuff. Like, how do you go from that to something more abstract? Um, that's a good question now that I think about it. I think going back to what I was saying with the uh, developing a social conscience, I think this was sort of a way to maybe marry my love of the horror genre with, um, like you said, more of a mature worldview and um, maybe thinking about the impact of horror on people. So this idea of this girl who's grappling with her own perception of, of the world, maybe there was something going on on a subconscious level about me and the effect of horror <laughs> on my own psyche. I don't know. <laughs> but... Needless to say, I mean, I, I'm pretty proud of it. It turned out really well, and I got yeah. lucky with the lead actress. She basically made the film, so. Excellent. Yeah, now I want to talk about that, too, kind of the making of it. So you had an experience. What were you, like, what was your role on this other movie that you were helping out with? Was there a specific role you were filling? Were you just a producer in general? Or? Um, basically, I mean, I came on um, as a production assistant, and then I sort of took the reins as an assistant writer. I kind of went in and took took over a little bit because I found a lot of flaws um, oh, no. with, the, with, the, with the dialogue and with the story structure. It was one of these based on a true story paranormal found footage films, which is my, I'm not a fan of. <laughs> so I kind of went in and started rewriting it and sort of co-directing it. Um, and uh, yeah, and that was pretty much it. I mean, it wasn't my film, but it became part of my project in a sense by so proxy so you got to take on a lot more kind of, you know, I mean was it different from when you were working in college to, to be in that kind of setting I mean is it is it similar to putting together a college film um not at all because in college there was not as much collaboration which leads me to why I do like working in Phoenix but um because there's much more collaboration here that's why I feel like it's it's a nice place to be a filmmaker or an artist in general but but people were highly competitive in, in at UT because there were limited class sizes and you had to basically sort of 
sell yourself to the instructors and the deans to let them know why you you were you know worthy of being in their production classes and so it was the opposite on this project I had full autonomy I was able to kind of put my two cents in and be met with you know yeah you know in an agreeable manner so I I feel like that's so backwards like to to kind of shut that down because I mean the competition is great and all but I mean to a certain point like that is the wrong mindset to have going into the film industry, I feel like, of, like, right. not willing to work with anybody just to, like, take it on control over it for yourself. That's not going right. to, as an entry-level person in the film industry, that's not going to get you anywhere. Well, and Maybe, that's that's what we were taught to yeah. by, the, uh, by the UT faculty was that it's a competitive, cutthroat industry and that they were just utilizing tough love on us. Like, this is how it really is. So it is going to be competitive. It is going to be a vicious beast. And so it is every man for himself, and that was sort of the philosophy behind the film school, which is part of the reason why I decided to take an exodus from making movies, because it was, yeah, it, it, it was less about the art and more about the business, and so, yeah. Gotcha. Now, all right, so was, was there like a, a rough transition to actually being a part of that, or do you feel like you kind of shed that, that mindset pretty quickly when you, when you actually started working outside of school? Do you feel like you were kind of tainted by that feeling at all? Yeah, I mean, I was tainted by it, but then, you know, like I said, when I worked on this girl's project, I realized it didn't have to be that way, especially with the advent of all this new digital technology. And because Phoenix does have such a small film scene, or at least at the time, uh, I should say small visible film scene, it's actually bigger (laughs) than you realize, but um, I, people here really want to help each other succeed. And so I realized with that kind of camaraderie and um, I guess you know support from everybody in the community wanting to help each other it, it it made me realize wow this can be a really positive and you can actually get a lot more done than I realized without feeling guilty or having to like sell your soul to the devil in order to make something <laughs> so, so let's let's break down that that process and that once you, once you kind of got into the swing of it for yourself uh-huh. that's fascinating to me so uh, you started off with the idea you knew you wanted to, to make this movie you already had the conception of it did you just sit down and write the whole thing first before even making another step yeah I did I mean I wrote it um, I just sort of wrote it as a short film to be honest it was about 45 pages long and then I gave it to a friend of mine to read and he's like oh there's more of a story here and uh, he's a writer he's like a, a basically a freelance writer and so I gave it to him to look over and he helped me modify some of the dialogue and stretch out some of the flesh out a little bit of the characterizations and the plot line. Um, to be honest with you, once the film hit like 90 minutes, mm-hmm. I still realized that it should be a, it should be a short film. I'm like, this film doesn't really have more to say after 45 pages. <laughs> so it, it, it's the original conceit was to make it a short film, but it ended up becoming longer via the way it was edited. <laughs> So, interesting. So it's arguably overlong and not really a, a, a feature, but part of the extension and part of the way it's drawn out makes it does make give it a slow burn quality, which I think actually works for it against in terms of against it. Cool. So, so, so. I was going to ask about that too because I saw that the runtime listed for it is like an hour and fifteen. Correct. Is that right? Okay. So that's a little under like. I guess an average runtime for a movie, like probably right. an hour and a half or so. Um, so, yeah, I mean, how do you, how do you know, like, when, how long is too long or how short is too short? 
Well, I feel like you know when I when I view the film and 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 I look at it and I say, okay, when 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 would I become lost with this? When would I start to lose my attention? And I felt like the film at about sixty five minutes, if it were to be trimmed down, I think that would have been the perfect length. But because my brother wanted to get it into film festivals as a feature film, <laughs> he took some of the footage and just kind of milked it <laughs> for what it was, you know, what he could. And so, you know, and it, and it shows. It, it definitely shows. Well, I definitely want to talk about that in a second, too. But I okay. want to go back, too, and, and just kind of, I guess, kind of re- readdress the same question, too, as, like, when you first sat down to write it, when you had the, just the idea in your head, how did you know that it was just a short film? Because um, I feel like the character arc was complete by page 45. Um, everything that needed to be said and done, um, you know, there was really no more of a story there. If I wanted to stretch it out or flesh it out, it would have been, it would have been too, it would have been diluted and there wouldn't have been enough story. I mean, it's pretty. So you don't go into a project thinking of like an, like an end medium in mind. Like you don't sit down and think, I'm going to make this short film or I'm going to make this, uh, of this movie, whatever it is, this full length thing. Right. It's just like, I'm going to write until it's finished. Correct. That's yeah. How you can address it. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Whatever it, however it manifests, is the way it's meant to be. And I'm again, why I'm not in Hollywood because I can't do something that's, <laughs> you know, under a specific set of criteria or a deadline or anything like that. So, yeah, that's to good. me, that's how art should be. <laughs> so, how did your brother first get involved? Um. Well, he's been doing film too. I mean, he was working in the industry. Actually, he does production and um, sound design he does a lot of his he's done a lot of short films as well but he's definitely more production oriented than i am he's he really can care less about story he just wants to get his hands dirty and actually be part of the process yeah i actually saw his name listed in the credits of the the alien movie that just came out right really i didn't even know he was working on that maybe not no he probably is yeah some kind of operator yeah no he's 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 working he's putting his He's in LA right now, and so he's doing some acting as well as production. Yeah, but the Phoenix Forgotten One. I, yeah, I honestly don't even follow him anymore. <laughs> I mean, I love him, but it, he is his name is on so much. He did, you know, he worked on Three Kings, and now he's worked on. He has an extra part in CSI. He played a corpse, and he was in the new Betty Davis. Um, oh, Joan feud. Crawford, the yeah. feud. He has a part in that, and I, yeah. So every time I turn around, he has a something he's doing in a film. So yeah. good for him. Okay. Yeah. So he was already working in the production aspects of getting in. So did you approach him, or was it just kind of a natural thing? Um, actually, um, he was really, really busy raising five kids, and so I didn't think to even bring it up to him. Yeah. I didn't want to burden him with the the assignment of asking him to be part of the movie. So I actually just hired people. I put, um, I reached out. Um, I, I remember correctly, I might have. I'm not sure how I found my director of photography. I might have even used Craigslist. <laughs> um, but I know I found my talent from Durant.com. That's how I found Leanne. But originally, I had written the part for a friend of mine, or at least had envisioned a friend of mine who actually lived in L.A. because she sort of met the criteria visually of what I was thinking of when I created the character, which was sort of this... Um, kind of worn down sort of looks like she might be um a recovering drug addict uh you know lots of piercings and tattoos and just looks like she's had a rough life and she kind of like oozes mental 
<laughs> I don't know. Yes, pretty much. <laughs> um, I hope she doesn't listen to this. But anyway, um, so she, on a day before we started shooting and we had done everything and everybody was ready, she called me and said, I can't do it. I'm having, incidentally, kind of a breakdown in a relationship and I just oh, won't be able to make it out there. So in a hurry, I... Um, started I actually called Laura Durant directly because it was a Saturday and she wasn't technically I think even in her in operation I think she was her business is Monday to Friday to five if I'm not mistaken but so I called her and she happened to answer she's like I normally don't answer on Saturdays but how can I help you and I'm like yeah I'm in dire need of an actress to play this role and we need somebody like by tomorrow <laughs> and I don't know if you can help me and she's like, okay, what do you, what, what kind of character? And I said, honestly, just a 25-year-old girl, like, if you could just, somebody who's competent. <laughs> I will do the rest. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I mean, we, we can do, you know, exactly. We'll, we'll make it work. As long as she can read lines and not look in the camera and she's pretty competent, I can direct her, hopefully. So um, she's, up, she's like, okay, give me about a half an hour and, you know, here's my, you know, this is going to cost you 100 bucks. I'm like, that's perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, and so the first person to respond was Leanne Deering. Um, I got a call like 30 minutes, maybe an hour after Laura had reached out. Um, and she called me and she's like, hi, this is Leanne Deering. Um, I understand you need an actress right away. She's like, I read the script. She's like, um, you know, and I remember her saying, wow, this poor girl you wrote, I feel bad for her. <laughs> I, and I'm like, wait a minute, you read it already? Like wow not only did, are you gonna do it but you read it in like 30 minutes so anyway so she was like i'm i'm on board you know when do you need me and that was kind of how she shout out to laura durant for working quickly <laughs> that's that's really impressive yeah miracle yeah. worker for sure she gets to script your actors that means if, if it was like within an hour or two that means she probably instantly had her on the phone giving her the script and right things down. and then that's shortly awesome. thereafter i probably accumulated about 150 resumes and um, headshots oh, too man. little too late but I guess Laura never maybe took it down took the uh-huh. I don't know how she reached out but she must have placed an ad too but so to this day I still have a little folder of potential Lighthouse Lane leads that I still look <laughs> at in case I'm working on another project and somebody might fit the bill so why not alright yeah. cool so alright so you got hooked up with your, your lead actress there your muse um, alright and so you said that she really kind of anchored the whole thing so right. what do you do you feel like you have a good relationship with actors normally? Do you feel like you put a lot on the like the talent when you when you get into a production? Or? Um, I mean, I I kind of demand a lot. I mean, I definitely just tell them exactly what I need. I don't. Um, I with Leanne, I didn't really have to. It was like Leanne read me more than I read her. So I, for some reason, it was it was really uncanny how much she knew the character and kind of. Awesome just interacting with me she just seemed to know what I wanted in fact she did a lot of ad-libbing and she would she would insert lines that I'm like wow I couldn't have said that better myself kind of a situation (laughs) so with Leanne I didn't have to do much directing to be honest with the other actors I did because a lot of them did not have as much experience so did you get all the rest of the talent from Durantcom too no I actually held an audition in Scottsdale yeah and um but I never had I never had auditioned for Leanne because I already had that one right. of my friends in mind that ended up not showing but uh so incidentally when I when I did have my audition I remember one of my actresses who ends up playing Leanne's mom in the film 
she said, well, have you cast the character of Dawn yet? Leanne's character. Yeah. And I said, yeah, unfortunately I have. And she's like, well, can I read for it anyway? And I said, well, you know, you can, but to be honest with you, you, you look a little bit too old for the role. Oh, she, no. And um, she's like, what are you talking about? I'm 25. And I'm like, oh. I mean, so anyway, I probably shouldn't be bringing this up. But I'm like, but you can play the mom. <laughs> so she ended up. But I, I, to be nice, I said, we'll put old age, old age makeup on you to make you look older. <laughs> so, um, yeah. But to be honest with you, in, in hindsight, uh, she does look too young for the mom. I mean, I'll give her that. I'm glad and I think she was. I think she lied about her age anyway, to be honest. But. She at least was 30. <laughs> She's an actress who's 25. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, okay. Um, so, wow, that's, that's, that's an interesting thing. So, like, you had an audition yourself, too. I want to ask about that, too. Like, how did you put together an audition? What did you, how did you know how to do that, I guess? What did you do? Um, I just um, co- contacted, I think it was Scottsdale Civic Center or Scottsdale Library. They have, like, a, a space in the basement where they, I guess I've heard they held a lot of auditions. And for I think it was $75 for like four hour time slot nice. um, so it just it was great because you know there was a lot of space it was a really big room and and uh, you know enough you know a, a, a waiting space out in the in the front of the of the of the room that like that like it sat like 75 people and I remember the first day um, or like in the first hour when we opened the door there was like 75 maybe maybe 75 girls and two guys like waiting to audition so we had no no male responses which makes me wonder like if there's no male actors in this town i've actually heard that from another one of my friends who was just recently casting something and he said that he he pretty much ended up having to like cast like every guy that came in because like that's who we had to work with that's exactly what happened yes (laughs) yes that's interesting men like why aren't you taking these roles got to do it there's no competition which yeah. is weird for us um okay so so you've got things start to come together now um and did you like just put the word out on the internet like where, where did you like do a message for it like how did you put the word out for your audition oh um actually God, that's a good question what would you do nowadays? I, mean, I think I, I think I might have used Durant for that as well. Okay. I think that must have been because obviously that's where I got Leanne, and so I had checked out auditions for myself actually through them. So yeah, I think it was Laura Durant. Interesting. So do yeah. you do acting as well then? Uh, I have. Yeah. Speaking of um, getting cast because I was one of the only male <laughs> <laughs> people going out for a role. I um, I did a, a lunchtime theater. Um, role a few years ago at Herberger and um, I was in this play called Faces on Milk Boxes which I basically was the lead in and it was one of those situations where they must not have had a lot of guys turn out because I read for about 30 seconds and they told me oh you're perfect you have the role and I'm like what are you talking about (laughs) your penis is exactly what we need yeah exactly exactly so anyway so yeah I mean I've done acting and and I did acting in high school and what have you so do you feel more comfortable like behind the camera or do you think um, honestly, I think I feel that and more. Well, I don't. I've never done acting in front of an actual camera. Uh-huh. I did that, this this is theater that I've yeah. done. So, I feel more comfortable in front of an um, an audience live than I do behind the camera, than directing other people. Because I can be somebody else. You know what I mean? When oh, you're yeah. no, I get that. When you're a director, you're very vulnerable. 
right you've got to be kind of in charge and every decision you make affects everybody yeah, right it's like, imagine it's pretty stressful yeah, and it seems like the and the actors are typically so willing to please you, and they want they don't want to get any you know hit a, a false note, and so they give you a lot more attention than I necessarily am accustomed to. So <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, once your take on everything and your approval. For yeah, things, interesting. And it feels like they're wanting to get in your head, which they are, because they want to know, <laughs> you know, what it is you want, and then I wonder, are they thinking about, wow, what is what is this guy? What, where, where was he when he wrote this? You know, <laughs> what does he want out of me? I don't know if I can give him that. That's crazy, that kind of thing. So that's an interesting thing. Cause, so I mean, with an acting, I feel like this is something I've talked about with other people as well. Like, you, it's it's nice because you get to give people what's in your head, but it's very controlled and it's very like manipulated. You know, mm-hmm. you you have you like kind of dish it out how you want to do it and the way you want to do it. But you're still you know exposing yourself, but in a way you have a lot more control. Like, do you feel that the writing kind of gives you that uh, option as well? Like, you're kind of just giving people what they want a little bit at a time, like, but they, they can't really come back and take anything more from you. Um, well, I mean, directing, obviously, yeah. is, is a lot different than writing in the sense that, I mean, with directing, it's, for me anyway, it's focusing on the, the visual right. solely and the performances, where writing, you know, for, obviously, there's a lot more to it, but... That's what I'm curious about, the writing part, too. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so when I write, though, I do think about the um, the benefit of having a lot mm-hmm. of being able to expand or maybe cut back a little bit with the actors. So I do leave a lot of it open-ended. I also do kind of use an improv- improvisational style to um, to a project. Like Leanne would, com- would, would actually read a line and say, hey, this might sound better this way. And when I write, I realize that might happen. So... I don't sit there and kind of pine over every word as, I mean, I, I you know, I realize that I, I want my films to sound natural and I like the sort of naturalistic quality of, you know, a lot of indie films like Richard Linklater's films, yeah. things like that, that tell a story through, you know, more of a spontaneous way of, rather than just spitting out lines or sounding like a novel as opposed to a movie, so. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. No, I mean, is that an issue for you when you're writing something that's kind of autobiographical autobiographical excuse me uh, so yeah I mean is that is that kind of tougher to do when it's something that is a little bit more you on the page is it harder to see other people change that or is that a little bit easier to work with them? well I think it's um it's it's easier it makes it a lot more uh, fluid and and it gives me a lot more um, flexibility because First of all, I know that the way I talk is not necessarily cinematic, mm-hmm. so having an actor that's able to to tweak it and make it sound more like they would say it, it creates a nice little like harmony and um, I'm not, I'm, what am I trying to say? It makes it more universal or accessible okay. as opposed to just having it come from my head. And when, it, when obviously as a writer, you want to try to not have your voice be in every single character you know so you're not worried about like the subject matter or like the stuff that kind of inspired you to write in the first place getting tweaked away no not at all well i mean obviously if i don't like it i'll tell them to do it my way (laughs) this is the director (laughs) yeah exactly i mean i'm not saying that i'm not gonna i'm not going to you know i don't know put my fist down if i don't like it but i'm certainly open to it and most of the time it seems to work Nice. Okay. Well, so you're starting to have things come together now. Starting to shoot 
so I, I read online somewhere where you mentioned at one point that like some of your influences involve um, well you've mentioned a lot of people already it's always Dario Argento and Brenda Palma and I mean the ones that caught my eye on there though are David Lynch and Woody Allen just because nice. that's such I feel like there's such like a, a ocean between those two <laughs> so like what what do you pull from from Woody Allen that you use in, in this type of stuff that you do um, I what I like about Woody Allen is that he he creates characters that have obviously a lot of um, they're very broken and they're very neurotic of course and but also very funny and I feel like David Lynch is ex- is so exceedingly um, abstract and visually his visual flair is, is is gorgeous and you know like a dream has a dream quality to it and he's absurd and Woody Allen is almost very literal with his dialogue so I think that I'm not sure that's a good question the bridge between them would probably be the characterizations of Woody Allen and then using the visual style of David Lynch so I think because they are in a lot of ways so polar opposite and the the themes and the uh, tone of their films are completely on different sides of the spectrum finding this happy medium I think it it's just a very unique, I guess, convergence of ideas and styles. And they happen to be two of my favorite filmmakers, so yeah. I don't know. It's interesting. And I mean, I feel like it's interesting, too, just looking at, like, the Palmer and Argento, too, because, like, Dario Argento doing stuff like the Giallo movies, that, that mm-hmm. kind of is a little bit more on the dreamy side, too, a little more um, sort of like more kind of expressionist, I guess, is yeah. the way to think about it. But then, like, when I think of the Palmer, the only... Brian De Palma movie I can think of off the top of my head is Dress to Kill. Yes. And, like, that that doesn't seem like... I mean, it does share, like, sequences and stuff that seem very much inspired by, like, Argento and stuff, but I don't know. He, he seems a little more, like, brutal, a little more real, a little more, like, New York-y. I don't know yeah, what, yeah. what he does. So, like, is that... How do you kind of, I guess, take away from those two as well? I, I don't know. Do you, do you feel like you lean more towards the realistic, the naturalistic stuff of, like, De Palma, or... You know, it's really funny because this is this is actually something I grappled with when I did Lighthouse Lane was I, I, I got to a point where I'm like, okay, I love all those filmmakers and I want to incorporate all their styles, <laughs> at least subconsciously, right. but they do kind of clash with each other. And so there were scenes in, you know, when Leanne was delivering her dialogue where it was so literal and so painfully realistic that I was thinking, okay, how am I going to bring this into the realm of sort of the dream logic that I like in terms of the David Lynchy and more of the, you know, like you said, the Giallo and and, and even even some of De Palma's work, which is kind of out there. But so, but then I said to myself, well, I don't. Why should I follow a particular paradigm or rule? Let's try to see what will happen if you fuse them. Maybe it would be something interesting and new. And whether or not I succeeded, I don't know. But <laughs> I don't know. I was just being stubborn and wanted the best of both, I guess. That's that's awesome. That's, I mean, that's really cool to hear because I feel like that's something that a lot of people think about. Like They think about the, just the total wide field of work that they love and are inspired by, and it's like, how do you marry that? How do you put that together? And just, like, just do it. You just, <laughs> just do it and see what happens. Just, like, awesome. Okay. Very nice. So you're, you're taking those inspirations. You gave me some examples already uh, some of uh, how those inspired specific parts of the the movie so as you're filming this movie i mean are you changing a lot as you go through it like you i know you said you fleshed things out you expanded a little bit more i mean what what does that look like in the movie making process 
um, you just change like change the pages the day of and bring up the actors? How does that work? Um, well, I think a lot of the changes happen more in the editing room, and then once we did like a a first cut, and I saw a lot of what I didn't like or things that I thought could be better. Then I went back and said, okay, there's certain scenes that just sound clunky or don't serve the plot or I can't believe I wrote that. So then, yes, <laughs> I would go back and, and re-tweak it um, to make it sound more, you know, plausible, realistic, um, keeping the tone of of the original, you know, the rest of the script. So, yeah, I guess you can say I did do that. I, you know, went back and, but it, sometimes it wasn't until like six months later. So I would bring the character, the actors back and say, oh my God, I had this revelation. I know that now you've had a child or whatever and you've moved on, <laughs> but can you please come back for this? I think this will be really, really beneficial and I promise I'll pay you and that kind of thing. So <laughs> that's cool. I mean, I, I feel like it shows you know, what they think of you, that they're all willing to do that, you know, that, that somebody is willing to kind of jump right back into it and six months later in order to uh, really kind of complete the product. Yeah. The, the specifications, that says a lot. All right, so let's fast forward a little bit then. Um, once, once the film is completed, um, I know that you could, took it to some festivals and did some screenings and stuff. So what is that process like applying for festivals when it comes to this? How do you, there's so many, it seems like. There maybe, are. Yeah, how do you even decide where you're going to take it? Um, well, I mean, there are so many, like you said, and, um, there, and, and honestly, it's a pretty easy process. I mean, you can, you know, Google any festivals and check out the dates and obviously you want to try to get into the most, you know, popular ones that, that have the you know, potential to actually have people yeah. prestigious. Exactly. And so of course we submitted to Sundance and, and Slamdance and, you know, Tribeca and we try to get them into all those. And of course we got rejected we got nice beautiful rejection letters which were nice to even have somebody from Sundance even having watched the film but yeah. but um but yeah we just kind of threw them out there and then you know like four or five of them responded and said hey sure we'll take it and so it just sort of happened and I was glad it did I mean we were able to at least get a wider audience to see it did so. you submit specifically to like horror festivals at all definitely yeah but the problem was is that it's sort of not a horror film it's more of a psychodrama with with horror elements to it so some some of them would say you know we're looking a little bit more for straight out horror which is ironic since that's what I grew up with and love <laughs> but um so yeah I got rejected from most horror film festivals or sci-fi because it's not really that mold interesting that's so it's like kind of not weird enough for the weirdos but a little too weird for like the the mainstream exactly yeah. So it took a couple experimental Best Picture awards, which I thought that was flattering. Cool. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So yeah, so the ones that you actually got accepted for, I mean, were they all award-based ones? I mean, how I noticed there was like kind of all over the country. Like, how did the Apple Tour thing work? Was that all at once? Or? Um. Yeah. I mean, it seemed like it was in. The, you know, basically, there was like the LA Movie Awards, which was. Essentially, you know, it was cool because my film was in the same, like, I remember the same year that Bryce Dallas Howard made. She won for, like, Best Documentary, which nice. had a million-dollar budget that clearly, you know, <laughs> she's real Hollywood royalty. So <laughs> so just to be in the same kind of, you know, ballpark. And the uh, 
another festival we were in, I think it was called the Eureka in San Francisco. The best picture was The Imposter, which was one of my favorite oh, movies. Oh, wow, yeah. Um, it's good so, company. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I never attended any of the film festivals. I attended the screenings that we had, which were at a few different venues. But, um, but just to receive, you know, some kind of recognition or platitudes via, you know, in, whether it's in articles or, you know, the the statues that I received in the mail or the certificates or whatever <laughs> were, were nice, even even if I felt it was a little, I don't know, I don't know, kind of a pity, pity kind of thing, since if it was experimental, I, I, I kind of take that as, oh, okay, we don't know what else to give you, so here's the, here's the door prize, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's just the way I see things though because this is obviously that direct comparison but like when I was in high school I don't know if your high school did it as well but the, they do like awards kind of for like the seniors like seniors you can win like most spirited or like most athletic and I won most unique style okay um, I feel like it's the same thing where it's like oh you're different oh you tried real hard yeah yeah you don't fit into the rest of us unique that's yeah like a politically correct <laughs> award exactly so well, whatever. I mean, it's cool that you're getting something, you're getting noted for it, and I think that that's something definitely. And so, I mean, what's it like to have a screening of your film? Like when you're attending something that's being screened that you created in front of an audience. Um, for me, it was nerve wracking. Um, I remember we we had a premiere at Harkins, Harkins Theater, and um, I remember they're coming out into the auditorium and they were saying, okay, it's about five minutes to the, to the film opening or whatever, the, to the film screening, and looking out and saying, oh, wow, seeing this large line and yeah. saying, oh, did the new Star Wars come out? Like, what's going on? Like, I did not know they were, my, <laughs> and, and my brother's like, no, dude, that's for your film. And I'm like, what the heck? Why? I'm, why are everybody showed up? This, I feel so sorry for them. They paid for this. So it was nerve-wracking, and then in, in the theater, I was... I, I was, you know, basically squirming in my seat. I, I felt like people had the window to my soul, and it was extremely embarrassing. And what are they thinking? And yada yada. So. So you didn't get any of the, the fun, like, oh, this is my baby. I brought this into the world type of stuff. Yeah. No. It was like, oh, there's a stranger holding my baby. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Yes, there you go. Examining my baby from head to toe. Okay. Yeah. Wow. So, did you do like Q and A's and stuff along with it? Yeah, we did a Q&A at the very end, and interestingly enough, um, that was the easiest part for me because those that wanted to stay and had questions stayed, and those that obviously weren't interested left, so then I felt like, okay, I'm talking to the people that actually thought it was okay. Your people. Okay. <laughs> exactly. So that was cool, but when all the, you know, purists left, and some of them left in a haste, um, I knew that I was in good company, so... Yeah. Well, and I noticed something too. I I saw that on somewhere on the internet there was like a write up about it when it first came out in Fangoria. So that's kind of awesome. I mean, did you have like press coming to the screenings? Or? Um, actually, there were um a couple people from I think from Beth and Bill or something. One of the people here in, in Phoenix came to the screening and came up and said, "Oh, that was pretty cool." Um, but the, the Fangoria, I want to say that my brother. Ralph is friends with one of the editors there and cool. was telling her about it and she's like okay well we can do a write up for you about it so yeah I mean it was written up um, in one of their pieces and they, it was mostly just about kind of like what you're doing it was about up and coming filmmakers or those that have limited resources that are making films outside of the system kind of thing that's awesome I mean 
I think it's kind of cool just because you started off the interview talking about reading about movies in Fangoria growing up, and so it's yeah. kind of full circle. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. Kind of see that going. True. Okay, so now it's been a couple of years. Like, uh, do you feel like that was kind of just a cathartic thing? You got off your chest and like you you made your movie and you're done. Or like, are you feel like you you want to keep on making movies in the same way? Um, actually, it did give me a lot of confidence. Um, for some reason, over over time, looking back on it, uh, you know, when you take a step away from something and then you revisit it almost with new eyes, new set of eyes, you're like, oh, okay, wow, I pulled something off and it's not as bad as I initially thought it was and it is kind of a feat and it's not perfect and, but at the same time, I did it, so why can't I do it again? And so I did write a, I have finished a screenplay, but it's incredibly far from whatever I, you know, it's a, it's actually a romantic comedy. Um, it started out as a, another psychodrama, and then all of a sudden, it the characters started doing really funny, humorous things, and I decided to just let them do what they were going to do, and it turned into a into a complete formulaic rom-com. <laughs> but actually, it's the best thing I've ever written. So nice. Yeah, so you feel pretty confident switching genres like that, then? Absolutely, yeah. I, I feel I, it's refreshing to kind of get out of the dark space that I was in when I wrote Lighthouse Lane. Excellent. And so I know a little bit about the, the thing that you're talking about. I got to read a little bit of it. And I'm trying to wrap my brain around the script that I saw as a psychodrama. So I'm curious um, how that kind of generated. Because it's the thing. It's like a, kind of a body switch type thing. Like you said, I mean, it's kind of based on some more formulaic stuff. But right. there's some fun spins to it. Um, so how how did that work? Was that always the, the central theme of it was like body switching and... Um, not at all. I mean, obviously, it's it's a film about identity and trying to find one's identity, and so that was obviously a theme of Lighthouse Lane as well. Yeah. Um, when I wrote the started writing Manic Monday, the romantic comedy, it was actually a vehicle that I wrote for Leanne again, and it was almost sort of a reimagining of Lighthouse Lane, but with but definitely more of a linear plot and a lot more conventional setup. So when I started writing it, it was it was basically about a girl who was addicted to internet dating and she decided to sort of you know put out all these fake profiles to, to see how many guys would respond to her oh, interesting. and she became this sort of like obsessed glenn close fatal attraction type character <laughs> but then the, the, the things she started to do and say um became almost they were just absurd and the film just didn't play out with a straight face it started to become almost like self-parody slash you know it, it just was and then I had written a character that was that was supposed to be her boyfriend but their their relationship and dynamic was more best friend and so I decided okay well let's let's see what happens here let's write this best friend okay now they have this kooky best friend pal relationship and he kind of sees right through her and he knows what she's up to and um the dialogue turned humorous and then I decided okay well what if they're what if they're best friends and maybe what if the reason she's doing all this internet stuff is because he was gay and broke her heart and now she's jaded and so she's doing all this self-destructive behavior to sort of get back at him and and what have you and so at that point I decided to again it started to become it started to become like a formulaic um, best buddy flick if you will and then I don't know how it came to me but I just somehow the body switch situation came into it and I thought it'd be funny to see what would happen if, you know, they swapped places and 
And I think I also read a um, article or a, a news piece about the transgender bathroom, um, you know, controversy. Yeah. And I think that might have been an impetus as well to think about, well, wow, what would what would it be like if somebody was trapped in the wrong body and had to, That's interesting. you know, yeah. carry on like, you know, in a, in a straight heteronormative world, you know, so. That is interesting to yeah. literally be like a man in a woman's body. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can I can see a little bit more of that now, I, but I like it as a comedy too. I think <laughs> it's good. It's been rewritten several times since you read it, right. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's gotten I, better, I promise. Well, that goes back to um, like what you were talking about before, just with kind of uh, having the script lead you to where it's naturally going to go. Like you can't right. force it down on the paper if it's just not going to work. You got to listen to how it's reacting. I think that that's yeah. a good philosophy to have. Sure. Um, so. I think that's kind of a good place to wrap things up. I, there's a couple things I like to ask about at the end. Um, first off, is if you want to shout out anybody in the area that you think it doesn't necessarily have to be in film, you know, just kind of any artist in the area you feel like you want to give a heads up to. Um, well, first of all, um, naturally, I, I want to definitely, you know, I, I want to say that probably the first person to inspire me would be Leanne Deering, um, just based on her... Um, her performance in my film and having seen some of her improv work just mind-blowing stuff I mean I've seen a lot of I've, I've watched so many films and seen a lot of theater and um, you know at first you think oh wow I've struck gold and I'm only thinking you know you're kind of biased because they, they were in your film but then I've realized just how you know textured and how capable she is of of so much, and I, I just wonder why she's not in Hollywood. She could easily take that that place by storm, especially considering what choices we have out there um, <laughs> in Hollywood. So, the fact that she resides in Phoenix and that she's has her acting studio it's and she's absolutely. yeah and sharing um, her experiences and she's just such a kind, giving person. Um, I just think she's she's amazing, and and so you know, I, I by far. She's given me so much faith in, in the talent that's probably out there. We just don't see it very often in Phoenix. So, and then the other would be on the more on the other side of the, I guess creative side would be um, director Ron May, um, who's I've seen a whole you know, a whole you know a lot of his plays that he's done at a Stray Cat Theater, um, just mind blowing work. His 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 style. Um, the details he puts into into directing, um, you know, the, I was saying earlier the fact that he he's directed plays that are you know Broadway, but he's never actually seen the original versions, and he, he comes up with his own vision and and starts over from scratch. I think it's just he's phenomenal, and I often wonder why he is in Phoenix because he could <laughs> easily you know be in be in New York or Hollywood or wherever and and be just as well received. So. He, he inspires me. It's like, okay, well, there's obviously something going on in Phoenix that I don't know about or whatever. Lucky us. Yeah, lucky us, exactly. So Now, have you ever done any acting with either of them? I mean, I know they took courses uh, and stuff. Yeah. No, I took on um, one of his classes at Herberger uh -huh. a long time ago, and I, before I even knew who he was. Uh -huh. He did like a, I don't want to say a guest, um, but anyway, I, I have taken a class by him, and um, I remember he had just moved back from New York, and... I had just moved my, I had just moved back from Austin and I just took it for fun but I took it for granted I had no idea who he was at the time yeah so um but after having seen a lot of his work I I you know I, I'm just 
absolutely floored by his, you know, his resume. I mean, he's done so much, and it's always so consistently impressive. So, what was the name of Man Studio? Um, it's Deering Acting Studio. Incidentally, I actually took classes by her husband Matt, who she has, she owns the studio with. I took classes from him um, before they even met back in the early 2000s. So it's weird how it came full circle and she ended up being this lead in my film. Nice. That's awesome. Okay. Cool. So next thing, is there anything you want to plug? Any upcoming projects, websites, your Twitter? <laughs> um, really just um, just my, my, uh, my current film, Manic Monday. I'm, you know, going back to the whole idea of staying in Phoenix versus L.A., up until a couple months ago, I was planning on trying to sell the film and shop it around to industry execs in L.A., but one of my friends, also a Phoenix-based filmmaker, Barry Chase, um, she says, you know, Doug, you can you can do this on your own. You do not need to go through, you know, a bunch of um, channels through Hollywood, if you will. You can, you can fund this yourself. I'll help you with the business model. Um, it's definitely doable, so hold on to it it's your baby let's make it our, you know make it yourself so that's really my my next step is is starting a pre-production on that that's awesome and that's a great like a thesis to everything right. try to do here that's perfect you can yeah. do it yourself you can absolutely do it yourself yes. and that leads me nicely to the last thing um if someone were to try and get started in like uh something you tried to do like in your line mm -hmm. of work if someone were to try to make a movie in phoenix right now what would be the best piece of advice you can give them Honestly, just um, after you've written it, don't even think about the end result. Just reach out to people, join a meetup, a film meetup, um, you know, talk about it. Even if you meet one person and you have them tell another person, I guarantee that everybody's willing to, to, to help out. You'll find a lot of people that will get excited about it and probably even volunteer their time, not expecting much, just because, like I said, that's the culture out here, is people are very supportive of each other in the community, at least in the film community. Um, so just go for it, you know? Just take the first leap and it will it will start to materialize on its own. Reach out to people, take the first leap, I love it. All right, well, Doug, thank you very much. It's been fun. You're welcome. It's been fun. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, show your support by checking us out on iTunes, Facebook, Twitter, and Google Play. And if you or someone you know is an artist in the Phoenix area who'd be interested in coming on the podcast, or if you just want to tell us how great we are, write us at starvingartistsphx at gmail.com. Again, that's starvingartistsphx at gmail.com.